Thank you, Eric. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious and merciful Father, we adore you. We thank you for this day, a new day, a new year. We cannot see all that lies before us in the months ahead, but we can and do know the one who holds time in his hand. We can rest in your goodness, your kindness, your love, and your blessing. We pray that you might fill our hearts with expectation for all your wonders that you have planned for us in the coming days. Give us a healthy foundation of peace and joy in you for each and every day, each and every challenge. We pray that you might center our hopes on you and your precious gospel. Father, we are grateful for our first six months together as a church, for raising up Milton Community Church uh, for such a time as this, for such opportunities as you have uh, planned and purposed for us. You've blessed us abundantly and are making us one body for which we're grateful. And as we enter this new year, we pray that you might prepare us for your use, that you would work in us individually, that you would work through us corporately, that you'd make us trophies of your grace, that your love might be radiant in us for all the world to see, that you give us passionate hearts that are eager to proclaim the gospel. What an incredible privilege we have. Broken and flawed, yet you have condescended to restore, to restore us, to put us together again, to renew us for your glory. We pray that you would tune our hearts, our minds, our souls to worship and to praise you. Lord, we pray for our many sister churches, especially those who partner with us here in this surrounding community. Lord, renew, refresh, revive us all for your work. Use us in mighty ways to reflect your glory. Use us to advance the gospel here in our region and, Lord, even to the furthest corners of this world. Guard and protect each congregation from the enemy's attacks. Superintend each congregation's unity for your name's sake. Lord, fill each pastor with your spirit to be faithful, to be fruitful, and to endure. Give each congregation committed leaders among the people. I pray that this year will be an extraordinary time for the gospel. That you might change Milton, that you might change Atlanta, that you might change Georgia. Lord, that you might change our world for your sake, for your glory. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I hope and trust that you had a blessed Christmas and that your new year is off to a great start. The, uh, you know, it's just something that marks on the calendar. It really doesn't make a lot of difference. Yesterday is not much different from today. And uh, the big picture, is it? It just, we turn a page on the calendar and begin something that seems new. 
It's a great opportunity, though, to kind of reboot and renew ourselves in our journey with the Lord. I know that we still have a few weeks left in Ephesians, but we're going to continue to take a pause there, at least through this month, because this seems to be a great time as we mark six months together as a church, as we begin a new calendar year together, for us to kind of remind ourselves uh, of what we're about, where we're headed as a church, to think about what we believe God has in store for us, what He wants to do with us and through us for His glory. So we're going to spend a few weeks doing that. The opportunities before us here are numerous. I would say unlimited, but that might be a little bit daunting. Numerous is a good place to land. We have incredible opportunities, and we see them all around us, but the challenges are just as numerous. We are in an area, while it is so blessed with uh, affluence, we have everything we need, more than we need, more than enough for all things, and yet that poses a great problem with the gospel because most people don't feel or sense a need for the gospel. They have everything they want. They're comfortable. In fact, they're enjoying life to the fullest, and most have tuned out spiritual things. And so the challenges are great. We have strong giftings in this church, as we're finding out, discovering together. We have abundant resources, more than most churches could even imagine having. We want to pray and desire and move toward being a faithful gospel presence in this community. Not to say that we haven't been or that we haven't aspired to be, but there's always room for strengthening. I believe that's what we all desire, and more importantly, I think that is what the Lord desires for us. You know, one of the things through the years, I've served as a pastor of um, four churches, including this one. Five, I guess, counting Milton Community Church. It's kind of a new church, right? So, but every time, this is the only time I haven't uh, been brought before a uh, tribunal and uh, quizzed and uh, vetted and all those kind of things. But uh, one of the key questions that always gets asked in those meetings with a pastor's search team or as you're meeting a church for the first time, they all ask this question in some fashion or form. They say, well, pastor, what is your vision for our church? Now, it's always struck me as being odd because the pastor is there entertaining an opportunity to serve that church because he hasn't been there before. He doesn't know the church. He doesn't know the community very well. And so they're asking him to peer into the future and to tell them where we're headed, where we're going, what God wants to do with us. And I've always thought that was just a little bit odd that we think in those kinds of terms. Now, when you think about that kind of vision, it's tethered to a couple of ideas. One comes from the Scripture in Proverbs 29, 18, where it says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. So I get what they're saying there. We've got to have vision. We've got to have vision lest we perish, lest we plunge into some sort of destruction. The other idea is just simply a modern business concept that uh, we practice in good old capitalism that we think in order to get somewhere, we have to have this game plan, this blueprint to get there. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we shouldn't plan for things in the future. 
But I think it's a little unrealistic for us to try to anticipate what God's going to do specifically with the church in the days ahead. For instance, five years ago, had we sat down and talked about it right here, no one in the congregation that was Crabapple First Baptist Church would have foreseen that we would be sitting together with a new church start today as Milton Community Church. So it's not very reasonable to think that we can lay out all the details for the future. The church belongs to Christ. The church begins with God's Word, and the church is centered upon Christ. That's what we focus upon. That's our number one priority. Many define this uh, vision as the ability to see the future and for the pastor to have a master plan for the church's future, but I don't think that's true. I think we should focus on the master's plan for the church and let him work out the details and give fruit as he so desires. So what does the master's plan look like? What is it exactly? Well, during this month, we're going to examine this and fi- try to figure out how, and how uh, Milton can and will Milton Community Church lean into God's master plan for His work in this place. His plan provides us with a sturdy trellis for gospel work. And it's basically a three-part strategy that you've already heard read to you from the Scripture. It's not anything new, and sometimes that's why we tune it out, because it's not novel, it's not new, and we think we need to invent the wheel, right? Reinvent the wheel. The truth of the matter is, we need to lean into what God has already prescribed for us to do, and it's actually pretty simple. He gives us a three-part strategy. One, a great commandment that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, and soul. Secondly, that we are to love one another. John chapter 13, 34, Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment to go with the great commandment, and that is that you love one another as I have loved you. And as you do this, people will know that you belong to me, and I will use this to draw them unto myself. And then the Great Commission that most everyone in this room is very familiar with. And that is that we should go in His strength and make disciples. Teaching them all the things that the Lord has given us. So over the next four or five weeks, we're going to unpack this. What it means exactly. What what Christ is saying to us. And how it applies to us specifically as a church in 2023 here in this affluent corner of the world in which God has placed us. So let's think about, first of all, our great commandment. Matthew chapter 22. It's an interesting It's an interesting exchange that takes place. There's a lawyer, and he is looking to stir up some things. He wants controversy. He wants to debate. And so he asks Jesus this provocative question. He wants Jesus to commit to identifying one of the commandments that's more important than the others. What is the most important commandment? Well, Jesus knew what he wanted to do, and he said simply, if you... You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So thinking about love, this is what the dictionary, a typical dictionary says or how it defines this word love. Love is an intense feeling of deep affection. 
Okay, pretty good so far. Love is a great interest and pleasure in something. Or we might add in someone. Some additional definitions of love that I discovered. To prioritize another's well-being or happiness above your own. Extreme feelings of attachment, affection, and need. A dramatic, sudden feeling of attraction and respect. That kind of fits our modern culture's definition, doesn't it? Something that just spontaneously combusts and you just fall into the state of euphoric love. A fleeting emotion of care, affection, and like. Again, fits perfectly with our modern culture. You can fall in love, then you can fall out of love just as quickly. Biblical love has a richer and fuller meaning. There are a couple of words used in Scripture, one a Hebrew word, one a Greek word. Hased is the Hebrew word that's used most frequently when talking about God's love for His people, and agape being the Greek word. Hased has a much narrower definition than the English word for love. It refers to the kind of love that is both promised and owed. In other words, it points a lot toward covenant love, real covenant love, as we see evidenced in the Lord. Agape is the Greek word for spiritual or divine love. These two terms are beautiful descriptions and forms of the love of God. Agape is the highest expression of love. It's pure, it's selfless, it's unconditional. Agape love is love at the highest level. There is no greater love than the love of Christ. Agape love is more overarching in its its defining of God's love and who He is. Hased is a more focused love, as I said, the covenant love. Agape is concentrated on grace. Hased is focused on mercy. Now, what Hased teaches us about God's love for us is this. Have you ever had a day where you felt as if you had failed God? Don't raise your hand. I'm guessing that everyone in here would say, yes, Pastor. In fact, you may feel that way today. It's dreary and gloomy, and we tend to be products of our surroundings very often. And you may be remembering and thinking about all the ways that you surely have disappointed God. Hased teaches us that Christ's love for us is in constant pursuit. That He's always pursuing us. We're never too far from the mercies of God. God doesn't just love you, He hased you. He's in pursuit. He is mercifully loving you every step of the way. He's not desiring to punish you, but takes great joy in giving mercy to His people. Micah 7.18 says, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of His inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Many biblical words such as mercy, compassion, love, grace, and faithfulness relate to the Hebrew word hased. None of them completely describe or summarize the concept fully. 
Hased is not merely an emotion or feeling, but involves action on behalf of someone who is in need. Hased describes a sense of love and loyalty that inspires merciful and compassionate behavior toward another person. We can unpack that a little further by going to John chapter 13, or John 15, I'm sorry, verse 13, where Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is divine love. This is God's love. This is real and genuine love. This helps us realize how inferior our culture's understanding of love really is. Jesus, you see, raises the bar really high here in Matthew chapter 22. Love God. Love God. It's an emulate the love of God as He has shown to us. We're to show to Him. And to unpack this, He says, with your, all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. In other words, with your whole being. Be all in. Our love for God should emulate His love for us. Now, honestly, I have to say to you, this bothers me because I'm incapable of this love. I have no capacity for this kind of love. Do you? I would say none of us do. The source of our love, then, is important, right? Where where do we find this love? Where does it come from? The source of our love for God is, is God. The Scripture tells us that He is love. All of us claim to love God. We, it rolls off our lips. We say it in our prayers. We say it to each other when we're sharing what's going on in our lives, how we love God. It's an easy expression. It's a right expression. Sometimes he's not the one we love the most, is he? He's certainly not the the only one we love, but sometimes he's not even the one we love the most. There are many things that tug at our hearts. So how can we obey this command to love him with all that we are? That's the question. That's the challenge. Now, the Lord knows. He knows we're incapable of this love. When he gives a command, though, God is always there to provide what he's asking for. He's the supplier. El Shaddai. His supply is always perfect to what he requires. He's the one who signs the check. He always has perfect resources. In 1 John 4.19 we read, We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Not because we heard theoretically that God loved us and so we decided to love like He does. We are capable of loving because He has showered His love upon us and placed His love in us through His presence by the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4, 20, 21. God first loved us in that He infused us with love and generated within us the love with which we love Him and the brethren, and the brothers and sisters. So love isn't merely a feeling as our society wants us to think. God is love. Real love. Genuine love. God loves us and condescended to become a man. 
named Jesus Christ. We've just celebrated that advent, Christ's birth. And he showed his love. He demonstrated his love in that while we were yet sinners, while we were unlovable, Christ Jesus died a substitutionary death on our behalf to set us free from our brokenness that he might restore us and make us acceptable to himself, might make us righteous unto himself. No wonder when we heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, our hearts responded with love, a unique love, a different kind of love than we were accustomed to. Something that changed us profoundly. And we believed on Him as Savior. And from that moment, we love Him with the love that He has infused in us. God is the actual source for our love. He loved us first, and He fills us with His love. We're being soaked and saturated in that love. Continually. Now the love of God in us is the love with which we can love Him. As we enjoy God's love... We'll love Him in return more and more. It should grow. It should intensify with time. We may think our heart is simply the seat of our emotions, but we can see from the Bible that it's more than that. Our heart includes our mind, our will, our conscience. Our feelings, thoughts, decisions, and the sense of condemnation or guilt we feel when we've done something wrong all arise from our heart. But God is the loving God. He created us with a heart so that we could love Him wholly and absolutely. But only when He is the one who's infusing our hearts with love. So what do we do? Simply trying not to love the things that, that try to displace God, the things that turn our affections and attention away from God, trying to just put those things in their place and reject them is not often successful. It's very interesting that Brandon mentioned the veil over the heart. Paul did write about this in Corinthians, and he says there that a veil lies on their heart, but whenever their heart turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, he was talking about talking to the Jews and about their, their indifference to God's plan of redemption, that they were unwilling to hear the gospel, settling themselves into what they wanted and desired more than anything else. So this veil, this darkness, this blindness engulfs their heart but in the same way even when we are known to Christ even when we're in Christ we can tend to allow the veil to return and to dull our hearts and its affections toward the Lord we become consumed or interested more in the things of this world than we do in him but when we turn our heart to him the veil is removed and we can see the Lord clearly We see His beauty, His virtues, how wonderful He is. And He infuses more of what He is, including love, into us. And this way, our love for Him grows. So what is this text challenging us to do? Love God with the whole heart, mind, and soul. Loving God is revealed in several important and practical ways throughout the Bible. We can't be exhaustive today, but I can give you the key ones. There's several of them. How can we love God? 
Well, first of all, I would say that it requires knowing God. You must be born again. You must have a relationship with Him. He must be your Heavenly Father before you're truly going to love Him as He desires because it is His love in us that enables us to do this. We hear the truth. We hear the gospel. We believe it. We believe the good news. We put our trust in Him. The Scripture says that we are born again, regenerated. We become new creatures, new creatures with the Spirit of God living within us. This enables us to know Him, to know who He is, to be His children, and He is our Heavenly Father. If we're going to love God, we must begin by knowing Him. Secondly, we love God, or to love God is to worship and praise Him. To worship and praise Him. You gathered here together today. We have come together with our primary desire to worship God. To honor Him. Now I know we come, we gather in churches for lots of different reasons. We come to see friends. We come to see our neighbors. We come to see our brothers and sisters in Christ and have family time together. We come to study the Word of God. All these things are important. We come to exercise our giftings, our strengths, and to become stronger and more useful to Him in the world. But our first priority is to come together that we might lift our voices in praise and honor to the Lord together and and worship Him. To love God is to worship and praise Him. You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Thirdly, we love God as we put Him first. I remind you of what God led with in the Ten Commandments, right? You shall have no other gods before me, He said. I, the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. We think of jealousy as being something negative, having a negative connotation to it, but not so with God because He's holy. But he's full within his rights. It is perfect and right and good for God to be jealous for the affections, for the devotion, for the love, for the praise, the worship, the attention, the affection of his people, of his creation even. To love God is to put him first. To love God is an undivided love. An undivided love. It's not compartmentalized. You know... Do you think in these terms, you know, do you compartmentalize your life in days of the week, in months of the year? I mean, it's very tempting. It's very easy to do, isn't it? Well, I've got my Monday through Wednesday self because I'm getting back into work on Monday. Wednesday's hump day where I start back down the other side, scooting toward the weekend, and that's what I'm really living for and working for, right? Right? Oh, Sunday, yeah, Sunday we go to church. That's church day, if we're feeling like it. We divide our lives, but God is to be, uh, a love for Him is to be undivided. It's not to be marked by particular days on the weekly calendar or months on the yearly calendar. I shouldn't love Him more during Advent season than I love Him in the cold winter months of January and February, or in the summer when everyone's on vacation and it's fun city, I tend to put God to the side and say, hey, Advent season's coming. I'll be back. 
Or, I don't love Him only when I need or want something, or when it's convenient. I don't allow other things to crowd into my world, into my love for Him. I don't allow other gods to usurp love for Yahweh. Love for God is an undivided love. Loving God is expressed by loving people. We'll talk more about this next week. But suffice it to say, our instruction is clear. Love others as what? You love yourself because all of us are proficient at loving ourselves, aren't we? I continue to shock myself each and every day when I realize how selfish I am. Selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed. Our instruction. Loving God is expressed by loving others. Loving one another. 1 John 4.11 If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12, if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Sixthly, loving God is not loving the things of the world. Loving God is not loving the things of the world. Psalm 73, 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. 1 John 2, 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 2 Timothy 4, 10, Paul remembers a good friend in the ministry named Demas. He says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. He's abandoned. Abandoned the gospel. Abandoned the call of God upon his life. Abandoned his friends. Loving God is not loving the things of the world. Loving God is to desire Him, to yearn for His righteousness, His Word, His holiness. Do you yearn for righteousness? Do you yearn to be holy? Do you desire this? I heard Billy Graham say this one time, late in his life, in his ministry. He said, what's, what's the thing that you want, desire most of all? And he said, to be holy like God is holy. To be without sin. That stuck in my brain. It continues to haunt me. That this should characterize who we are. If we truly love God, we should desire Him. We should desire to be like Him. You know, you see it in the children, right? When they, they, they want to be like Dad. They see Him. They emulate Him. They do as Him. And, you know, for all of us broken, flawed dads, that's a sobering reality. Because they always start emulating the things that we wish they hadn't seen. For us in the spiritual world, desiring God, our Father, to yearn for His righteousness, His Word, His grace. Psalm 42.1, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my heart, soul pants for you, O God. Psalm 63, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. 
So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. To love God is to obey Him, to keep His commandments. John 14, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now all these are helpful. All these are challenging. But there's more. (laughs) There's more. Listen to this. What does it look like to love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul? Let me give you just a glimpse. Matthew 10, 37. Jesus said, Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves sons or daughters more than me is not worthy of me. Now that's pretty stunning. (laughs) In Luke, he says, If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother and his wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Is he saying that we're to hate everyone but him? No, that's not what he's saying. What he is saying is you think about your love, and we've just come through this season where we're reminded and we reflect and we rejoice in our love and those who are very special and close to us, whether it's parents or children or grandchildren or spouse, whoever it may be. Jesus says to love Him with all your heart, mind, and soul is to make all those loves in this earthly world seem like hate in comparison to our love for Him. Wow. Wow. That's heavy duty, isn't it? Deny ourselves. Deny self. Take up our cross and follow Him. In this natural state that we're in, it's impossible to obey such a directive. But as regenerated believers, with the Spirit of God residing in us, yes, we can be enlightened, equipped, empowered in order to do as He has instructed. You say, okay, Pastor, I seriously would like to love God in this way, but the affections of this world, they're so consuming, it's hard I want to, but my want fades or falters, breaks. How can I love God with all my heart, mind, and soul? I wish that it was easy, that I could just anoint you with some kind of special water, take you through the baptismal waters, and you'd come out just completely different, right? But we're moving toward that. We have the promise of God in us to enable us and to encourage us. But I would say it begins with our want to. There's a story in Mark chapter 9, you may remember, that there was a man who brought his demon-tormented son to Jesus for healing. You remember Jesus said, To him who believes, all things are possible. To him who believes, all things are possible. You remember what the man said to him? He said, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, but strengthen my unbelief. My belief is weak. 
My belief is not what it should be. I want more than I can believe. In areas where your love lacks, this is where we say, Lord, help me to love you more. Help me to love you as you desire. Help me to love you as I should. Believing that He can and that He will. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 that we studied not too long ago. Now to Him who is able, now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. Begin by asking Him for that power to be operative in your life. Our love for God should intensify over time. As we know Him, as we're consumed by and with the things of God, as we're eager to study His Word, faithful to pray and to make your desires known, diligent to obey and honor God in all things, available and faithful to share Christ with others. These are disciplines of the faith that fuel our love for the Father. As you embrace them, your love will intensify. God's plan begins with our love for Him. Do you love Him with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your soul? If you're like me, you would never be so audacious to claim that you do. Right? We want to, but honestly... I look in the mirror every day and say, No, Jerry, you really don't. You really want to love yourself more than anything else. What evidence is there in our life to support our love for God? And if you do not, as I'm saying I do not, what will we do about it? What needs to change? What, what needs to develop? What what course alteration needs to be made in order to get on the track of nurturing and intensifying our love for Him. We certainly don't want to maintain the status quo or ignore the challenge. I believe this church will be as impactful as the depth and quality of our love for God allows us to be, which meets more than the unlimited opportunities God has put before us this is the thing this is the thing my friends that's going to move the kingdom of God forward here in this area that we call home our love for God see they're not interested in hearing us talk about it they're interested in seeing it they're interested in seeing it alive and well and powerful in us, in the way we live our lives, in the way we, way we treat one another, the way we love the Lord together. These are the things that God has said will capture their imagination because they're not used to seeing this. We need to be distinct from the world. We need to be distinct from the world. You know, one way that we remind ourselves of the Father's love regularly and our challenge to love Him in kind is by coming to the Lord's table and remembering what Christ has done for us, celebrating and honoring Him through the observance 
of the Lord's Supper, taking of the wine and the bread, reminding us of His blood, His body that was given for us. This morning, we have that opportunity again to come and to receive what Christ has done for us and to be reminded, to be reminded of the gospel, to be reminded that we have power available to us to live in victorious fashion over the temptation of sin each and every day because of what Christ has done for us. And that we have a hope that the second advent still is before us. Christ is coming again. And as we come to the table, we remind ourselves of these things. And it fuels and intensifies our love and appreciation and desire for the Lord. So this morning, I would say, if you're in relationship with Him, you've put your trust in Him, and you're walking in fellowship with God and with the brethren, according to His Scriptures, that you'd be invited to come to the table and partake in the Lord's Supper today. We're going to sing in just a moment, and as we sing, I'm going to invite you to come and receive the juice, the bread, and return to your seat where we will partake of them together in honor of the Lord's love for us and our love for Him. Father, we thank You so much for Your grace and Your mercy and Your love. Lord, we thank You for the challenge that Your love presents to us uh, to love You in kind. Lord, and we acknowledge that we are not capable in and of our own strength, but it is only as You infuse us with who You are, with Your love, with Your power, with Your grace, that it might abound in us and through us, Lord, beyond what we can ever imagine. So we pray that today, as we come to the table, you would search our hearts, that you would cleanse us, that you would rid us of affections, Lord, that, that are foreign, that are uh, usurpers, interlopers. They seek to rob love from you, and that you would set us free from those. Bring those to our attention, and may we confess them to you as sin that we might come with a clean heart, a pure, undefiled conscience, approaching your table and be reminded, Lord, of the grace and the mercy that is ours in you and through you. Do it, Lord, for your glory and for our edification, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, you every morn, sends the origin, His mercy is more. Nothing they remember, no time we have done. Our faith is not knowing we can stop this song. God, I'm more sure. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. The Lord, 
His mercy is more than darkness new every morn our sins they are many His mercy is more We're great as we constantly roam With Father so tender is calling us home He welcomes the weakest, the loyalest, the poor Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more Praise the Lord, His mercy is more Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. The riches of kindness He lavished on us. His blood was the payment, His life was the cost. We only stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. The darkness new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Jesus had gathered His disciples together before His arrest and crucifixion. He prepared them that night. You remember that He washed their feet. Then He celebrated the Lord's Supper with them. And He said, these things that are about to happen, I'm getting ready to die. I'm going to shed my body. I'm going to give my body for you. I'm going to shed my blood for your sin. That's kind of strange to us to think about. But the scripture says without the shedding of blood, there is no removal of sin. There's no remission or forgiveness of sin. This is the way God set it up when He told Adam, when He warned him that he would die if he sinned. Where there is sin, death must ensue. The debt must be satisfied. Jesus gave His life in order to satisfy that debt. And with his disciples, he took them aside, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body, 
which is given for you. Take it unto yourself. Take and eat. Then Jesus took the cup and in the same way said that this is my blood which is shed for you. It is this shedding of blood that will cleanse the life and make you a new creature in His sight. Take this and drink. This is the new covenant. As the Lord's body here at Milton Community Church, we commit together, we have covenanted together to live out our beliefs in a distinct and certain way. Our church covenant expresses that, and I want you to join with me in reciting it together as we remind ourselves of our commitments to the Lord and to one another as His people. Will you join me now? Having been led, as we believe, by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we do now, in the presence of God, most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. We engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, to walk together in Christian love, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, to strive for the advancement of this church, knowledge, holiness, and unity, to promote its fruitfulness and spirituality, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We also engage to maintain personal and family devotions, to educate our children in the Christian faith, to seek the salvation of our family, friends, and acquaintances, to walk wisely in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our responsibilities, exemplary in our conduct, to avoid all spreading of gossip or slander, necessary strife and unrighteous anger, to avoid all practices which bring harm to the church or jeopardize our own or another's faith, and to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness, to cultivate Christian sympathy in feeling and courtesy speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation, and to be mindful of the teachings of our Savior and obedient to His commands. We moreover engage that when we move from this place, we will as soon as possible Unite with a like-minded church. 
where we can carry out the spirit of His covenant, principles of God's Word. Now let us sing, All Glory Be to Christ. Should nothing of our efforts stand, no legacy survive, unless the Lord does raise the house in vain its builders strive to you who boast tomorrow's gain tell me what is your life a mist that vanishes at dawn all glory be to Christ all glory be to Christ our King, all glory be to Christ, His rule and reign will ever sing, all glory be to Christ. His will be done, His kingdom come on earth as is above who is himself our daily bread praise him the lord of love let living water satisfy the thirsty without price we'll take a cup of kindness yet all glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. All glory be to Christ. On the day the great I am, the faithful and the true, the Lamb who was for sinners slain is making all things new. Behold, our God shall live with us and be our steadfast life. And we shall ere his people be, all glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ, my King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing, all glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ our King. All glory be to Christ. <clears throat> and we'll ever sing. All glory be to Christ.
Amen. As we begin the new year, I pray that you will encourage each other to walk in the love of God as He intends for us to walk. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Thank you.